0: Welcome to Public Domain Video Theater, presented by the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Well, today we're going to bring you an episode of General Electric Theater. It was based on the Box 13 radio episode, Daytime Nightmare. Uh, the original air date on the TV episode is December the 5th, 1954. It is season 3, episode 11 of the General Electric Theater, and the title is Committed.
1: Now,
2: Alan Ladd in a return engagement stars for General Electric. And every Sunday night, General Electric brings you the finest motion picture stars on TV. The great names in comedy, in mystery, in romance. Every week a star, all summer long, on the General Electric Theater. In research. In engineering. In manufacturing skill. At General Electric... Progress is our most important brother. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. That's a good typing exercise, but a little thin on plot. And that word plot has filled more wastebaskets than any other. It's the nemesis of all writers. Authors have been known to lie quietly for days waiting for an idea, but not Dan Holliday. He advertised for adventure, hoping that out of a dozen answers to his ad, at least one might lead to a good story. One did. It led to his being committed. Good morning, Mr. Holiday. Bill there on this block? No, it's down the street around the corner. Oh. Thanks. Oh. What's that thing? Lunch? Hmm. I'm glad I can't join you, Lieutenant. You have joined us. Just because I love you. Say hello to Kennedy. Hi. Hi. I'm having lunch at the Golanero today. You can get a nice dollar lunch there for five. Oh, not me. I'm an invited guest. By Mr. Paul Wells. He answered
3: my ad. Quote, wanted adventure. We'll go anywhere, do anything, unquote. You better take a good look at this character, Kennedy. Someday you may have to identify him. You know, I know eight or 10 writers around this place. They all dream up their own stuff, but not Holiday. Oh, no. He's got to advertise, we'll do anything. One of these days, you're going to trip over something you can't handle. In that case, I ring claim. Sure, Dan, sure. Just don't call me when I'm off duty. In fact, try not to call me at all. Okay. But if I do, you come running. Sure, sure. See ya. Bye, Wally. Screwball, huh? He's a friend of mine, and I like him.
1: Yes, I, uh, answered your advertisement. It fascinated me. Tell me, are you bored, Mr. Holliday?
2: No, Mr. Wells, dry. Dry? Yes, I just got tired of writing the same plot. Once in a while, my ad leads me to a new one.
1: I see. More coffee? Oh, thanks. Are you, uh... Wondering about my proposition, Mr. Holiday? Natural. The concern's about five million dollars. Well, it's a good opening.
3: But what do you do for the second act? Well, it's quite simple, really, and perfectly legal. But there is a risk involved. At those prices, I can imagine. And for you, there's ten thousand dollars. Really? I bet you'd find it interesting. Oh, Clarice. Oh, may I present Mr. Holliday? This is Miss Clarice Benton.
2: How do you do, Mr. Holliday? How do you do? Oh, do, please sit down. I can't stay but a moment. I just wanted to say hello to Paul. He's my attorney.
1: Oh, won't you have some coffee?
2: Oh, thank you, Paul. I can't. Have a date at the hairdresser. Have to get my bracelet repaired. Catch went bluey. Look. How clumsy can you guess? I've been dropping things all day. Nothing's gone right. I guess this is just one of those days. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to have met you, Mr. Holliday. Call me this evening, Paul. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Goodbye, <laughs> oh, This is one of those days. Goodbye.
3: She's charming, but just a little scatterbrain. Now then, Mr. Holliday, suppose we finish our coffee and get on with our business.
1: My car's outside.
3: Chapter two. Huh? You're very amusing. Waiter. the matter? I don't know. I feel a little funny. Oh, come on. Get in
1: the car. Let me get you to the doctor. That's all right. Oh, come. Thank you.
3: Go. Get him into bed. Now just relax for a moment, Mr. Stokes. Huh? I said relax for a moment. Uh, why'd you call me? Well, never mind. The important thing now is that you rest. Wait outside. I'll call you if I need you. Now, let's get a few facts straight, Mr. Stokes. Like my name, huh?
2: Stokes. Edward Stokes. If I go along with a joke, what happens?
3: We'll do our best to see that you're restored to health. I'm sick. I'm going to be very frank with you, Mr. Stokes. Now listen carefully. I'm listening, doctor. You are a doctor. Psychiatrist, Dr. Cordell. Now, there will be times when you have an absolute lack of recall, memory. Other times, like the present moment, you'll be almost normal. call this normal? How'd I get here? Your friend, Mr. Wells, brought you. Oh. Yes, you see, your wife was greatly distressed at the lack of at the lack of progress you had made at the Millhaven sanitarium. She's having you recommitted here. End of joke. Believe me, Mr. Stokes, this has never been a joke. Where well, are my clothes? Hugo. go.
2: Let's behave now, Mr.
3: Stokes. Stokes! Better give him another sedative. I'm afraid Mr. Stokes has homicidal tendencies.
2: (coughs) That's no good, Mr. Stokes. The straps will cut, and that hurts. Your name's Hugo. So you remember, huh? Now that's good. Lots of times they can't remember nothing. Where are my clothes, Hugo? Sorry, Mr. Stokes. No dice. I don't want my clothes. Get my wallet. Look in it. You'll find my identification. It's Dan Holliday. Edward Stokes.
3: Look. I impressed
2: you. Put you in here. That isn't my wallet. My name is Dan Holliday. Go to our phone. Call Lieutenant Klinger, the city police. Describe no, him to him. tell him I... that. on yourself, Mr. Stokes. Just take it easy. My name is not Stokes. Please. Don't get violent like they tell me you did at the other place.
1: Because if you do, I'll just have to massage you. Well, he remembered my name, but...
3: Take these off. I'm sorry we had to use force, Mr. Stokes. Please don't make us do it again. I have a surprise for you. I'll bet. Your wife's downstairs. We'll take you to it. Chapter three.
2: All right, Doctor. Let's go meet the wife. I remember. There'll be an attendant with Cordell, so try and make it look good, Clarice. I'm scared, Paul. Why? He doesn't really look like Edward. Paul, I won't go through with it. I don't... You're forgetting something, Clarice. Five million dollars. And if they ever find Edward's body, you and I go to the electric chair for murder. Oh, stop it, Paul. Well, we get through with Holiday, and you identify his body as Edward, and the attendants here identify him as Edward... That will be the end of it. Edward. Hello, Clarice. And Mr. Wells. You know this corny plot of yours, the police will never buy it. The oldest gag in the world. Drop your bag, and when I pick up your things, I'll
3: make you in the coffin. What's your angle, Wells?
1: There's no angle, Edward.
3: Clarice simply thought you might make a more speedy recovery. Here. If you'll just sign those papers, Mr. Stokes, everything will be fine. Take a lot of
2: explaining to the police. For instance, what happened to the real Mr. Stokes?
3: Paul! Clarice! He wouldn't be dead, would he? You two better get out of here.
2: you kill him for that five million you mentioned? Or did you? Or did both of you?
3: What about the attendants? They all think he's Stokes. Hugo even heard him say hello to Clarice. Only the three of us know. See, you don't matter. As far as Hugo and Company are concerned, you're behaving exactly as you did at Millhaven. You won't use that. If you force me to, it'd be self-defense. I don't know what your cut of the five million is, doctor,
2: but I doubt if it's worth gambling with murder. See, you haven't killed anybody
3: yet. Hugo. Take him back to his room and strap him up again. You just come with me. I'd stay there, Hugo. Be careful, Hugo. He may get violent. Stay back, Dr.
2: Cordell. I can handle him. Now, come on, Mr. Stokes. Let's take it easy now, huh? Like yourself, Hugo. I'm a violent man. No, no, you aren't. You're a nice guy, Mr. Stokes. Hugo, my name's not Stokes. He's dead. He was taken from a sanitarium and killed. I was brought here to impersonate him. Sure, sure, I know all that. Now, Hugo...
3: Stokes. He just killed one of my attendants. He's a homicidal maniac, Sheriff. Don't take any chances. Maniac just broke out of Cordell Sanitarium
2: and killed her and he's got a gun. Got one. We? My father and brother. Where are they? Down the road. Right down the road. The barn dance. I've got to get to a phone. Where's the closest one? There's a filling station right down the road. Can you get me some clothes? We interrupt this program to bring you another bulletin on the escaped madman. He is armed. He is dangerous. He has already killed one man.
3: Cooperate with the local authorities and report anything suspicious.
2: Don't believe that. Do I look crazy to you? Uh huh. I do. The clothes and gun. I forgot. Come on, give me the clothes. What? That was Act One of Committed, starring Alan Ladd. On the 4th of July, we celebrate the day our country became free and independent. Our independence is guarded by our many citizens in uniform. And it's also guarded by industrial citizens, like General Electric, as Don Herbert's progress
1: report for tonight will show us. In a few seconds, we're going to watch an actual test flight. We're on California's Mojave Desert, the largest flight test center in the world, Edwards Air Force Base, formerly called Murak. Here's where the Air Force and the aviation industry, working together, test and develop the aircraft of the future. And here's where General Electric flight tests its jet engines and electric and electronic plane equipment. Here comes our test plane, North American Aviation's F-86D Sabre jet, powered with a J-47 General Electric jet engine. And here comes the fellow who will fly it, GE's chief test pilot here at Edwards, Roy Pryor. All right? What kind of a test are you going to make today? This will be an engine air restart, Don. I'm going up to 40,000 feet,
2: cut off the engine, wait 10 seconds, then restart the engine again. Now, wait a minute.
1: You mean you're going up to 40,000 feet and then deliberately shut off the engine?
2: That's right. Why? Well, you see, Don, we want to find even better ways to restart our engine at altitude.
1: What are they doing now? Last-minute check? That's right, Don.
2: In addition... They're loading film in the ship's cameras. You see, we'll record all the instrument readings during this flight to give the engineers
1: enough to work on for days to get a detailed study of what goes on. Good luck, Roy. We'll be keeping in touch with you after you take off. Now we're here in the General Electric Control Room and we'll keep in touch with Roy over this radio. When he gets up to 40,000 feet and is ready to begin the test, he'll tell us exactly what's going on. Hello, Don. How are you reading me? Loud and clear, Roy. Are you up to altitude? Roger. You're be ready to cut my engine in three seconds. The engine is off now. I'm gliding. Losing altitude at a rate of 3,000 feet a minute. My airspeed has dropped to 210 miles per hour. By the time you count five, I'm going to restart the engine. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. The engine restarted at 38,000 feet. Temperature RPM coming up. Everything looks normal. Well, he did it. A jet engine restart in the air. Now, this is the sort of testing that goes on day after day here at Edwards. All intended to give our country the strongest possible air defense and our pilots the safest possible planes. Yes, this is the testing ground of progress. And I guess you'd expect to find GE here because, as you know, at General Electric, progress is our most important product.
2: Now, back to Alan Ladd in Act Two of Committed. Stay inside for ten minutes. Promise? Good girl.
1: Charlie. Evening, Dr. Cordell. Heard the news? Yeah, what's new in the guy?
2: Nothing yet, but he's around somewhere. Couldn't get far in what he was wearing. Hey, do you think he's near here? Well, I don't know. He may be trying to get to a car, so keep your eye peeled.
1: He's already killed one man. Look, I got a gun in there. Am I supposed to use it on him if I see him?
2: You may have to. Okay, Tim. be careful. Don't try anything. I want to use your phone. Look, fella, why don't you give yourself up? You don't stand a chance. You're so right. But every trigger-happy guy will be out for they kill. They won't let me surrender. All right, now give me some change. Come on. How much? Nickels, dimes. Half a dollar's worth. Plaza five six five nine nine. Five six five nine nine. That's right. Hurry, please. Yeah. Hello, Kling. Kling, this is Dan. Dan Holiday. Look, Ling, I'm in trouble. I need you to identify me. Where? Well, stay there. I can't. A girl knows I'm using this phone. Don't ask any questions. Believe me. Believe me, I'm in trouble. They think I'm crazy. You are crazy. But I'll be there. Tell me a place where I can meet you. There's a palm dance on Highway 49. Highway 49. Near the Cordell Sanitarium. Yeah. Yeah. Now look, I'll be there somewhere. But remember, Highway 49. And hurry, will you?
1: And the corner's off. Side, two,
2: three, four, and the girl go forward up and back. Now forward again with the right flip through, you're doing fine. Soaring on the corner, swinging on the vine. Hi. hello. You're new around here, ain't you? Yeah, my car broke down. It's a gas station down the road. Oh, oh, Tim's place, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. Hey, uh, you better go on inside while you're waiting. That crazy fella roaming around ain't too safe out here. Maybe you're right. I better go ahead. Those young folks inside. Here, gas in here. Two of you alive, a couple of shells through that back window. Shoot as soon as he comes out.
3: Don't take any chances. He's a killer. Here, hold it a minute. Hold it. Get away from that door, you idiot. So what? You've got the wrong man in there. He's a friend of mine, Holiday. Wait a minute. Where do you think you're going? You stay where you are. Hotan! Are you in there? This is Kling, can you hear me? It's Kling.
1: What took you so long? Come on out.
2: Make him throw the gun out first. Throw the gun out, Van.
3: It's okay. it's holiday. (laughs) this all about
2: ask him the answers and pick up a couple of jokers by now Paul Wells and Clarice Stokes why they're waiting in my office they're the ones that killed the real Stokes come on you I'm sorry I guess I owe you an explanation you see I'm a writer and the real Stokes had a lot of money and Clarice, his wife, and, and this fellow called Paul Wells, he... Well, he, uh... You tell her, Kling.
3: He's crazy. You know he's right.
2: Exciting melodrama and Alan Ladd seem to go hand in hand. Our thanks to Alan for a gripping performance. Next week, Jane Wyman stars in Amelia, a delightful comedy about a lady doctor and her businessman husband. In the meantime, remember... From electricity comes progress. In our daily living. In our work. In the defense of our nation. And at General Electric, progress is our most important product. Till next week, then, at this same time, good night for General Electric.
0: Welcome back. Well, just like with uh, the backdoor pilot to Bait we played a few years back, it is fun to see uh, an old-time radio program brought to television, even if it's just for a single episode. Alan Ladd does a good job in this, and uh, when you get to the scene at the... Asylum, some of the dialogue is word for word uh, from what happened on radio. The ending may be this episode's biggest uh, shortcoming. And perhaps it comes back to the ending for the original radio program. In the original radio episode, it ends when Dan meets the guy whose phone he uses to call Kling, and the guy just makes an impassioned plea for Dan to give himself up in a way that kind of works dramatically, even though we just we skip over a lot of uh, things and are just told about them. I think the creative team on General Electric Theater, knew they had to go uh, another direction. They needed to have something that was more visually satisfying. And the ending we got for TV, well, it included a lot more square dancing. And given that Alan Ladd had distinguished himself in uh, quite a few Western movies, most notably Shane by this point, uh, you know, I guess that's on brand... And at the end, we get some exciting stuff. Some gunplay and some fisticuffs. To try and give it a more action-packed feel. I think the problem, though, is that the ending kind of dumbs down the story, and in particular, Lieutenant Kling. Because any police officer with uh, any sense, um, having an understanding of the situation Dan is in, is going to uh, call ahead for the local police who are in the midst of a manhunt for him. And for that matter, why didn't Dan just try and surrender to the police? The big thing he had to be worried about on the run is that a police officer or a citizen would see him running and would take a shot at him in the dark, kind of a shoot-first, ask-questions-later approach. Which, in order to make this script work, the police take, even though he's indoors, and the policeman has the drop on him. So again, we have to have a lot of our characters not acting too brightly in order for this ending to even be plausible. And so I think that kind of hurts this as a backdoor pilot for Box 13. And I guess it was an odd script to use for television. Russell Hughes wrote half of the Box 13 radio scripts, and I think there were probably several that would have worked better. So I'm curious, you know, what led to the decision that this particular story had to be used. But despite my problems with the ending, it is an interesting look at what Box 13 might have been like on television. And also some of the challenges that come with trying to adapt a program that was successful over audio uh, to a visual format. Well, that's all for now.